A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like The After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download The Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode 106 of the Fantrax Tool Shed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have a really fun episode in store today, a jam-packed episode at that. And with me, as always, my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, bud? Oh, not too much. It's going to be a doozy of an episode. We got uh, listener questions, a lot of spring training updates, and we're, what, a week out from the season starting? Yes. Crazy. It's crazy. It's almost here. You know, drafts are wrapping up, and we are going to hit the season hard. So I can't wait for that. I am so ready. I I don't know. Th- this year feels like after the lockout. I don't know. It's I'm I'm always amped up for the season, obviously, but it feels like a little more, a little more amp, a little more excitement this year. It's just ready to go. I took both Thursday and Friday off from my day job next week. So I sit there, watch baseball the entire day. If my kids try to fight me for the TV, I will. They will not win this fight. Usually, I give in, but they will not win. It's opening day. It's gonna be baseball for first pitch, which is I don't know. I think around noon. I'm assuming I haven't actually looked at the time all the way through the night games. It's gonna be a lot of fun, and we finally have some some real baseball to talk about here. A lot of a lot of fun storylines and players excelling or not excelling so far in spring training. Plus, a little list of questions as Chris mentioned as well. So. Really jam-packed show, so let's get right into it. But first, let's get the usual housekeeping out of the way. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClay. I am at EricCross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both of us. And, of course, check out all the other great work we have on the Fantrax HQ network, including our 2022 draft kit. And I was just told tonight that the new draft room that we've kind of been teasing for a while is out it is ready it is done so go check that out it is phenomenal so much functionality it looks just sexy it's a great you know i i liked our old draft room it was a fine draft room but they went really went above and beyond the fan tracks team did with this new draft room like chris and i have had in several of our you know drafts so far that we were able to access it and it is phenomenal so go check that out It's, it's a lot of fun Let's get right into it, Chris. So we'll start with some, we'll do some listener questions after the break. We'll start with some spring training storylines. So let's start on a positive note here. Joe Adele is, this looks really damn good. You know, Chris, you tweeted up the other day and we were talking about this, I think before we came on one of our last episodes and started recording, but how much better Joe Adele's swing looks this year. Like there was a video that the Angels posted from, from from behind, but one of his home runs from about, I don't know, four or five days ago, I think it was at this point. And it's the difference. And then, Chris, you did, I think you did it side by side. The difference in his swing you know, from last year and in previous years to now, it is so much smoother, more direct to the ball, less noise, less you know, move, unnecessary movements you know, throughout. It looks really good. Obviously, it's spring training. We don't want to overreact too much, but – 
So far through 10 games, you know, he's hitting 280, only striking out under 25% of the time, three home runs and three steals. That's great to see. Uh, obviously, spring training, but I just love to see that he is running. So this could be a nice little breakout year here for Joe Adele. And Chris, I know you put in your when you were doing that piece with Fantasy Pros, where everybody was picking a breakout. I believe you put Joe Adele, didn't you? Yep, sure did. I put my money where my mouth is too. I took him at 126 in the Highlander Dynasty. I, you know, obviously wanted to wait. There was a lot of good players on the board, but I think he's on the verge of a breakout. I, I really do. And when there's tangible change, it always means something to me. Not to mention the elite prospect pedigree, the strides he made last year. I mean, he he increased his contact rate by. 10 plus percent zone contact rate was up as much as well. So he made tangible changes that now allow him to get even more contact in my opinion. Like he's, his bats just direct to the ball. So there's monster power. I think he chips in some speed as well. So, you know, honestly, I'm not going to be surprised when he breaks out in a big way this year. Now we, we both use the term breakout. What, what do you think what that looks like? You know, I'm feeling obviously I'm still kind of down from where we kind of thought he when he was like peak prospect. I, I don't have projections that high anymore, but I'm thinking something like 260, 30 home runs, maybe 10 steals is in play. What, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I think that, you know, I think 25 home runs is realistic. I don't see why I couldn't approach 30. And you're right. I think 10 steals is probably what we're looking at. We're not looking at an elite like 20 steal type guy, but a 260 average with that is is pretty solid, in my opinion. Yeah, so maybe, and I think at one point we thought he was to be some like you know 30 30 superstar t- and 280 first round talent. You know, I don't think that maybe that's a bit too high at this point. That's very lofty from what we've seen from him over the last couple of years, but definitely still think he can be what, like a borderline top 50 overall player long term. I think that like, that's still in play. Yep, I don't see why not. I'm. I'm... Really big fan of what he's done, and I certainly see him progressing, making strides. That lineup should be really good, yeah. and as long as they stay healthy, he will be in it, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I was just pulling up their uh, roster resource page here. You know, Roster resource has him hitting seventh. Who knows if that's going to be. They have Marsh hitting sixth, but in a platoon. So I can see him I can see him being as high as fifth, maybe sixth or seventh to start the year. They have Max Stassi fifth, but... He's going to get a lot of RPI opportunities because that top four is Otani, Trout, Walsh, and Rendon. So he, he could, you know, full season, if he does what we think he can, he might be flirting with 100 RBI as well, or at least you know, 80 to 90 plus. So definitely like Adele here this year. Wish I had more shares than I, than I do, but I, I do have a few shares, so I'll, I'll be happy with that for now, I guess. Moving over to you know, the same same town, well, technically different town because I don't think the Angels are actually in Los Angeles, obviously, <laughs> but... Still Los Angeles team to the Dodgers and someone that, another outfielder that's not doing so well to start the year. And he's been, you know, a vocal point on Twitter. People are talking about him. People still, you know, he's very split on Twitter. People, some people are like way off like me. Other people are still like, oh, you know, he's still a great player. So he's a, always a fun one to talk about. Obviously, it's Cody Bellinger. And we always say to not read too much into spring training stats. I said, it's, you know, we're talking like 10 games here, right? Like we're talking 20 to 25, 30 point appearances at most. But sometimes you can read into spring training point appearances, especially when we're talking about a player coming off one of the worst offensive seasons of the 21st century last year. That's had many injuries over the last few years. And now through his first 25 point appearances, has three hits and a 68% strikeout rate. He has one walk, the 17 Ks, and he's tinkering with his swing. I mean, I had him as like a borderline top 100 guy, Chris, coming into the year before we had any spring training games. I, I'm way down that. I'm trying not to overreact too much to this, but I wanted to see him at least be not this terrible early on. And the fact, he's already tinkering with his swing. That's very concerning to me. Well, yeah, I think that's the most concerning thing is he's changing it again. And the fact that he's really like has like three different approaches right now. I was reading up on it where he has like three different approaches and basically he's trying to see if he can catch the high fastball with his current swing, but if not, he's going to adjust to this. And if not, he's going to adjust to this, which is kind of crazy to me. And yeah, you talk about a bad season last year. He had a, a 48 WRC plus a 237 Woba. Like those are horrific. I mean, yeah. 
165 batting average. And I get it. The Babbitt was low, but his strikeout rate ballooned like the highest it had been since his rookie year. And, you know, in 2019 and 2020, he was at 16%, 17%, and up to 27. Like, that's kind of crazy. And the spring's not been encouraging at all. I don't know what he's doing, but he's completely lost. And the Dodgers are an elite team. They're not going to keep running them out there. Like, yep. if if he's struggling this bad, they've got other options. Like, they're going to move on from him. I hate to say that, but I, I think it's wish casting at this point to say that he's going to be okay. Maybe he will. I know a lot of people are still saying they're buying the dip, but I'm out, man. I'm telling you, I don't want anything to do with them. I don't either, dude. And that's a great point. Is the Dodgers are loaded and they're going to be a contender. They always are. And if he's struggling, they're not going to, you know, they'll be quick. To, the, the leash is short here. Like they'll be quick to tug him out of that lineup or maybe put him in a platoon or something like that. But they have so many guys on the bench and coming up through the minors where they can. Well, they can put Lux out there. Like they can do so many different things that they don't need Bellinger. Like he's already supposed to hit like bottom third of the order because that lineup is loaded top to bottom. Obviously, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where I would even feel comfortable taking. Like if I had a draft tonight, I don't know. One fifty, still no. Two hundred, maybe. Two hundred is where I start to think about it at this point. But I don't know, man. There's always going to be somebody in your league though that's way too yeah. high on him and get him exactly like, pick one hundred. So your chances of getting him at a discount are pretty slim. Like you're going to have to pay ADP, I think, even even with the struggles. Absolutely, you are. And I know there's plenty of people sitting there listening to our podcast right now that are saying like, "Oh, well, he's been he's uh, dealing with all these injuries the last couple of years." Yes, he has. But I think people just give him a free pass for that for some odd reason, and they expect that oh, he's going to be 100 healthy from here on out. That's just super risky, and you got to factor that in. Yeah, okay. Some of the struggles could be attributed to injuries. Sure. 100% agree with that. But not all. And you still get a fact like, all right, durability is an issue at this point. Yeah. Like that factors in. You got to play the games to accumulate the stats. It's it's that simple. So yeah, there's so many red flags in terms of durability in the profile. I just, I don't want anything. I don't want any part to do with him in redraft or dynasty right now. It's at the point where I need him to show me something for me to, even remotely buy back in and he hasn't shown anything in a while. So it's going to take a lot to get me to buy back into Bellinger. At this yeah. Point. He's a player. You needed to see something from the spring and you haven't seen it at all. I think it's a, a bad process to say that he's fine. Like we're, I'm not worried about this. Yeah. Spring's training stats don't mean a ton, but just watch him. He's completely lost. Yeah. It, it would be something if he was, you know, had three or four hits, he's hitting like, you know, 150, but like, I don't know, 25, 30% K rate. No, this is a 68% K rate. 17 Ks and 25 plate appearances. That is terrible. So moving on, though, here to a couple other hitters that have struggled as well over the last couple of years. Or excuse me, not, not two hitters, just two players in general. One hitter, one pitcher that have struggled a lot since they got up to the major leagues. Former top prospects. Hasn't panned out, but... Both are showing something in spring training, unlike Cody Pellinger. Mitch Keller, Keston Huria. Let's let's start with let's start with Mitch Keller, because he's been a very popular kind of conversation piece on Twitter over the last few days because he is now through three spring training starts, eight and two thirds innings, allowed seven hits, no runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts. The velocity's been there. People have been gushing over the velocity. So people are like, oh, Time to buy back in on Keller, and I, I get it to a degree because he has the former top prospect pedigree, even though I was never really a big Keller guy, even back when his prospect hype was probably the highest in, like, what, 2018 maybe that was? I can't remember at this point. But there's still a lot of issues with Mitch Keller, mainly the command, which is why I was never really as in on him as others were. And, again, it's only eight and two-thirds innings. I don't know. Where, where are you at on Keller? Are you – are you kind of drinking that Kool-Aid, Chris, or are you still a bit wary of him? No, I'm 100% in because, he again, he made changes. He made grip changes with his pitches, and the results show. And, you know, when we saw that bullpen from Shred Athletics back in January, I mean, it was kind of like, well, he's just throwing a bullpen. Like, you know, the numbers are kind of inflated because it's a bullpen. And while, yeah, you can say that that's true, he's still been super elite, honestly. I mean – Everything backs up what he did in that bullpen session. And I'm not worried about the command because when, you, when you're when you throwing at 97, you can get away with 
more misses than you can if you're throwing at 93. So everything else just totally looks great. I mean, the swing and strike rate on all of his pitches has been through the roof this spring. The CSW in his last start was, you know, all right, so all pitches 36% and four-seam 45% CSW, slider 41%. The curve was down a little bit to, to 13, but 40% on the changeup. So everything looks great. He's keeping the ball on the ground at a high level, not allowing home runs, which is a, a big weakness for him, and he's striking guys out. Everything tangible is there. So, yes, I, I'm so bummed I didn't get him in the Highlander dynasty, honestly. I was holding out hope. When, when I took – I had to look back which pick it was. Let me see. Because I was I was debating – actually. so I took Jonathan VR because I needed a middle infielder and some speed. I had middle and corner open, and, and he provides that. So I sat there and was like, shoot, I'm, I really wanted Hira and Keller, which is funny. We've got them both. So I sat on it, and I was like, all right, I need VR. And I really thought Keller was going to make it back. He made it within three picks of coming back to me. And I was like, man, I was so heartbroken. But, yeah, I, I think that Keller is going to be just outperform what everybody thinks. I'm, I'm, I think the crowd's pretty split on him right now. I don't think people are fully buying in. Some people are fully buying in. But I'm 100% in on Mitch Keller because look at everything he's done, and it just really backs up what we saw in that bullpen, and he looks legit. I'm, I guess I'll throw a little bit of cold water here because, yes, he made tangible changes 100%. And his velocity is up nearly, you know, but right around two and a half miles, at least in his last start, which against my Red Sox, actually, he averaged 96.4 on the four seamer. It was 93.8 year before that. So 2.6 miles an hour up, sliders up 1.3. This is just from his last start. Curveball up 2.2, changeup up 2.8. But, you know, the changeup still is really not even a, a valid pitch for him at this point. He's never really had a changeup. He's always really been fastball, slider, curveball, which is fine. Two, two different breaking balls. You can get away with that. It's what, you know, McCullers kind of is, is that route, and Glasnow, too. You don't need a changeup. So I'm not going to harp on that too much. But, you know, you did mention, like, he's second guys out. I was looking. He still only has, and again, this is just three three games, eight and two-thirds innings. I get it. But he has seven strikeouts, 34 batters face. That's a 20.6% carry, which is still – well below league average. So I'm glad he's only only has one walk. That is very encouraging. Though he does have two wild pitches for what that's worth. But again, that'll be that'll be the thing. It, can he throw strikes, limit the walks, limit the home runs, which have all been issues for him. All three of those have been huge issues. And at the same time, can he do that without sacrificing the former, you know, strikeout upside that he showed? And he was never a huge K rate guy either, if I recall in the minor leagues. So I don't know. I, I'm just wondering if he'll have to sacrifice that and be a lower K rate guy to not be terrible in the ratios. I wonder, like, is there that, you know, like we talk about with, with prospects and, you know, can they just, you know, sacrifice power to get more contact or vice versa? Same thing with, with pitchers. Is he going to sacrifice some of the swing and miss stuff that he's had in the minor leagues with, with the curveball and the slaughter to be a guy that can, you know, hit his spots better and not give up so many home runs? I don't know. I'm just I'm waiting to see on Keller. I I see why people are in. Totally get that, but I don't know. I'm more of a, a wait and see on Mitch Keller at this point. I, I guess for me, it's because where he's valued right now, you don't lose anything by drafting him. Oh yeah, or for trading sure. for him where he is, so he can only go up. And worst case, you drop him. But the stuff looks right now enticing enough that he can return top 50 value, which is crazy. Like he can easily be a top 25 pitcher in my opinion with, with the stuff that he's shown. So I'll, I'll take the risk as late as he's going that he does that. And worst case you drop him. I mean, he's still young. You mentioned the prospect pedigree. So he's one, you know, even before the off season started was one that you look at and he's like, man, there's some potential breakout here. And now you see he's starting to show that he's just 25 years old. This seems like a, a prime post hype breakout to me. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree on you know the fact that his value is so low right now in terms of where he's being drafted and dynasty costs, all all that. Don't, totally agree with that. I guess I I guess I'll disagree with. I don't think he can get anywhere near that level of like top twenty five, top fifty pitcher. We'll see. You know, he's very intriguing at the very least. It's it's worth a dice throw. You know, a dice throw. I'm combining a uh, dart throw. There we go. I'm combining <laughs> combining multiple terms here. Definitely worth a dart throw for sure. Just to see if it, like I said. Doesn't if he stinks it up in April and May, you drop him. So, well, moving on here to Kesson Huria, who again is looking very good this spring. And this is coming off, you know, so for, for Huria's career, 
241, 318, 455, which isn't, you know, terrible, but it's just gotten worse every single year. Average, 303, 212, 168. OBP, 368, 297, 256. Slug, 570, 410, 301. He was just unusable last year. You know, 77 strikeouts in 61 games. He should hit 168, four home runs. But this year, in spring training, eight games, 21 plate appearances. He's 7 for 17, four extra base hits, three home runs, two walks, six strikeouts. So still striking out close to 30% of the time, but he's looking pretty good. He's kind of revamped his swing a little bit as well. I don't know how much he plays, though, because there's a lot of infielders, a lot of mouths to feed in that Milwaukee infield right now. Like, for instance, you know, he right now he's projected to be in a platoon. They have three platoons listed on roster resource. You got Rowdy Telez in there, Jace Peterson, Mike Brousseau, and obviously Colton Wong, Adames are the locked-in starters. But the corners are probably looking like platoons at this point. So how much does he play? But again, the, what we've seen from him in the past is enough to they at least you know same thing with Keller. It's a dart throw, it's a roll of the dice, late run flyer, you know whatever term you want to use there. But I'm not fully out on on here like I am on on others. But I think how much average we saw from him in the minor leagues. There's a definitely a blend to be had, a balance to be had between that contact and power. The fact that he went through so many personal issues with his mother and, and whatnot. So I think I'm willing to see what he can do. Hopefully he gets a starting job. That's a big thing here. If he can play enough, maybe they put him in the outfield a little bit too, move him around, play multiple input positions. But yeah, here is at least uh, interesting right now for sure. Yeah, and he, he today he had a double too, only struck out once. So the strikeout rate is down from what we have seen in the past, which is good. I think it is worth looking at the quality of pitcher he's facing. But overall, just like Adele, he's made legit changes that I think really can stick with him. The playing time is a question mark for me, but I'm willing to bank on the talent. As I mentioned, I did draft him in the Highlander Dynasty pretty late. I got him in the... 19th round so i don't remember what pick that was but 20 team league almost near pick 400 so i think that we see him bounce back you're right the playing time's gonna have to be there but we've seen the contact rate be okay the strikeout rate is going down if he can i just think if he keeps the strikeout rate below 30 percent, he's gonna be okay he's got like a javi baez ish profile which is fine. I mean, Baez gets away with it and has elite fantasy seasons every year. I wouldn't say elite, but you know, it's really good fantasy seasons. Yeah. So I I think we can see him bounce back. Another young player who has the skill set, the pedigree we've seen before, is now kind of putting things together. And wouldn't surprise me at all to see him have a really good year. And and by good, even if he goes, even if he hits two fifty and gives you 25 home runs and five steals, I'd say that's a step forward for for here. And he's, like I said, still a younger player, former first-round pick, all the pedigree in the world. Let's let's see it happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm still – I still want him to succeed. He looks like a likable dude. He's always smiling. He's a, guy, he's a guy I want to succeed. So hopefully he can do that this year with Milwaukee. Like I said, everything is there for him to take that – maybe he's not you know, a great player, but you know, maybe he's a guy that could be a – you know, maybe a serviceable corner infield, middle infield, probably more of a corner infielder at this point, but never a guy that you're going to have price starting at, but a corner, starting corner infielder, I could totally see that at this point with, with him. So moving on here, Francisco Lindor is really looking good this spring. Now he's a guy that had a very up and down last, you know, 2021 season. Month to month, it was just maddening if you rostered him last year. But overall, the numbers were still... Okay, 20 home runs, 10 steals, but 230 average and 524 plate appearances in his first season with the Mets, but did finish strong end of the season, still was walking a ton. So that's you know it's similar metrics to years past. And this year in 22 plate appearances this spring, hitting 474 with four home runs and two doubles, two walks to three strikeouts, no steals yet, hasn't even attempted the steal, but I'm not worried about that at all. But the fact that he's just looking really good this spring. And he'll be hitting in the middle of a pretty good New York Mets lineup, top to bottom. Could be in, you know, could be in store for a nice bounce back year here in 2022. Yeah, and he's one where you know you see that the prototypical thing when someone gets a huge contract and goes to a big city, there's a lot of pressure on him. So, interestingly enough, he's not swinging at a lot of pitches this spring. He's been been very passive. He has a 38% swing rate, but the results have been there. He's been selective. It's paid off, and he's got 13% strikeout rate. Four home runs, as you mentioned. 
solid average near 500. The slugs through the roof. So everything you want to see, I don't know if we see him get back to that 20 steal type, but I don't think he has to with where he's being drafted. I think there's definitely 30 home run, 10 stolen bases in the profile. So where he's going, it seems like he could be a good value at shortstop, especially with so many of the high-end shortstops being pushed up. Lindor's kind of an afterthought. It seems like he's kind of flying under the radar here and having a really solid spring, honestly, with a lot of tangible change that we've seen, cutting down on the swing rate, et cetera, and it's paid off. Yeah. How, how high do you think he can rise this year, Chris? Like, you look at some of the short – in terms of the shortstop position, you know, I think I obviously definitely behind Turner and Bo. Like, they're head and shoulders above the rest at this point, especially after Tatis's injury. But you look at that next tier, you know, in terms of ADP, where it's like Tim Anderson, it's Trevor Story – Semi and it's bogey and then Lindor. I think you could see him realistically be the third most valuable shortstop this year if things break right for him. Yeah, I could see him pushing top five. It's just so deep and everybody at the top is so talented. So, you know, a lot of different things can happen, but you're right. I think the talent we've seen him in the past produce those kind of numbers and be that high end shortstop. So I don't think top five is out of the question for me. Yeah, I think you know Trevor Story. Obviously, I think is a great value. He'd probably be a number three for me over Anderson at this point. I think he's going to be an absolute beast in Fenway. Uh, Semyon, I think is is fair value. Xander's right there too. So yeah, I think you definitely could see him finish ahead of Bogey, ahead of Semyon, ahead of Anderson, maybe even ahead of Story. We'll see. But so I think yeah, I think at this point his ADP is right in the fifty five ish range. I think for what he can bring to the table, even if he is only a ten to twelve steal guy, but twenty five plus home runs. I think the average will bounce back, OBP as well. Good amount of counting stats to go with it. I think that's definitely a great value for Lindor this year. So you still get got your draft upcoming here over the next week or so. You know, maybe give a Lindor a look in that, you know, 50 to 60 pick range. All right, next on the dock, a couple of pitchers here that are looking pretty good in spring training. One pretty young, one not so young. He's Jesus Lazardo and Justin Verlander. Lazardo is one we've obviously talked about several times this offseason at different points. And I think that we're both buying back in, and Lazardo is looking really, really good so far, as has Verlander. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts on these two for this year, Chris? Like, how, how good, like, in terms of, like, the top X pitcher this year, like, how high do you think each of these guys could go at the end of the year? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised by either because we've seen this from both before, obviously, with Lazardo not at the big league level, but we saw flashes of it last year. Again, the velo being up is pretty significant. He's made a couple tweaks in the arsenal, like throw your best pitch the most often. That's what he's been doing, and it's, it's really paid off for him. So Lazardo, I think, could easily be a top 25 pitcher this year. He's definitely got the pedigree, and we've seen him perform at that high level in the minor leagues. And with Verlander, I mean, he's shown they can be the best pitcher in baseball. Even at 39 years old, he looks like he's still the guy ready to go out there and do his thing. So wouldn't surprise me at all if he's a top 10 or top five pitcher at the end of the year. Yeah, I think you know people are reading too much into his age, honestly, because, yeah, he's old. Like, I, I get it. He's pushing 40. Is he 40 now at this point? No, he's 39. 39. Yeah. 39, okay. Still, that's very old, obviously. That number 40, people get scared by it. But Verlander showed, before obviously the midseason, showed no signs of slowing down. No signs whatsoever. They tell like Max Scherzer where he's still elite in his late 40s. So, if anything, I think the year off might be good for him. No, there's not another year of wear and tear on that arm. He looks phenomenal this year. The velocity's there. The breaking stuff is there. You know, it's all there. So, I could, and he's obviously on a great team as well. Yeah, I could easily see both these guys being top 25 arms, maybe even higher than that for, for winner. He could be top 10. I totally agree with that. So right now, like I have over seventy five percent of my league this year, I have Jesus Lazardo. I'm just talking redraft leagues. I don't know what it is in dynasty leagues, but I have a few shares of him in dynasty leagues as well. He's my highest rostered player by a significant margin. I have nobody else over fifty percent. He's up like seventy eight percent or whatever it is, something ridiculous. I'm trying to get him everywhere. The ADP has risen over the last few, you know, three four weeks as I thought it would when we saw him you know, get in camp and get in the game action. Here it looks pretty good. So. It's kind of jumped from like 300-ish to more like 230, 250 at this point. But yeah, both these guys are great targets and looking very good so far in spring training. Moving on, a couple 
closer situations have, have kind of come to light here over the last few days out in the Bay Area with the Dodgers and the Giants. Gabe Kapler pretty much saying that Jake McGee is going to be the guy at least to start the year. So everybody that drafted Camilo Doval, that's something we talked about too. With I think both George Montanez back in like October or whatever, and then with the reliever recon guys that yeah, Doval is the sexy pick there in that bullpen. McGee is far from a sexy pick, but you know, McGee has got has the experience and Kapler likes him. So he'll get the save opportunity to start the year. And then with the Dodgers, you know, they didn't say this guy is the closer over Blake Trinan, but it's going to be, I think, a mixture of guys. You know, Daniel Hudson, Blake Trinan, Ruza Gratterall. So it's not going to just be Trinan. I think he'll probably still lead the bullpen in saves by the, you know, venture, I guess. But I don't think he's maybe not going to get that 25 to 30 that we were hoping for or just take, you know, step in for Jansen. So, yeah, definitely uh, big blows to people that had Trinan shares. And Doval shares, and I had a lot of treatment shares. I was really sipping that Kool-Aid. So, yeah, really tough to hear that, but not surprising at all. I mean, I'm not upset. I'm not even worried about it particularly because the ratios are so good. I think he still gets 15 saves. You're looking at a team that's going to win 110 games. Got to imagine that he still probably sneaks 15 to 20 saves. Yeah. Daniel Hudson has been quoted saying that he doesn't like closing either. So somebody's got to do the darn job for them. Apparently no one wants to close. Your best pitcher, obviously, it doesn't close in every situation, but Blake Trinan's by far the best pitcher in that bullpen. Agreed. And I think it's going to play out where he gets the majority of saves. I'm not really buying it fully right now. He may not come out and get the first save of the year, but I really don't see a situation where he doesn't get the majority of the saves there. So I'm not really concerned about it. Duvall, I haven't drafted once. That was the easiest pass there was in drafts with how high he was going. And we talked about it. We've talked about it on the reliever episode here. You know, we've talked about it multiple times where look at Gabe Kapler. For one, he's hardly ever committed to a closer. He was last year more than ever. But who was his guy? It was Jake McGee. And guess what? Jake McGee is back. He was with the team again. So why wouldn't he go with that guy again? Duvall, you know, it's been solid. But again, McGee has a track record. We saw him get the majority of saves last year. So I'm not surprised to see that at all. Agreed. All right, let's talk a little bit of some prospects here in spring training. A lot of prospects really balling out this year. I, got, I put a, a tweet out earlier. All the top Kansas City guys are all hitting well. Prado is still striking out a bit too much, but Witt looks really good. Looks like he's in line to start at third base. Bryson Stott looks like he's in line to start at third base for Philly. That'll be great because I, I took both of them in the Highlander Dynasty draft. Witt, my first round pick at 16 overall, and Stott was somewhere in the 250 range if I, if I had to guess. But if I can get dual eligibility from both of those guys, short stuff and third base, that would be great because I kind of waited on third base. So hopefully I'll get third base eligibility from one of those two early in the season. And both of them are great. Obviously, we, we know. we know, But Stott's a, just a phenomenal target because I can see him working his way. Maybe he doesn't hit high initially, but his OBP skills would just be wasted in the bottom third of the order. And obviously they're loaded with adding – uh, Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, but I can see, see him moving his way up that lineup slowly but surely. Very solid five category guy, uh, so definitely love him as a you know mid to late run target this year. And you know one of and the, but the other one that you know c- talking a couple of prospects that recently t- today even got either sent up or called down or sent down or called up. I got that backwards. Hunter Green is going to start the year in the rotation for Cincinnati. Fourth game of the year he'll be starting, so that's phenomenal we'll have to see that O'Neill Cruz was sent down the other day to work on his outfield defense which is just complete crap but I don't know a lot of stuff here so what are your general thoughts and everything for, for prospects in spring training yeah I mean they've looked good for the majority I mean you look uh, I think there's a real possibility Julio Rodriguez makes the roster I feel like it's a lock that Bobby Webb makes the roster Torkelson and Riley Green I, I think they make it too so this is going to be an interesting but good change that we haven't seen as much in the past. I mean, O'Neill Cruz, you hate it, but not surprising at all that the Pirates did this. Props to the Reds, though. I mean, they're a non-contending team. They've traded off everybody. So maybe that's why Green is up, because they don't have anybody else left to pitch. <laughs> but Green definitely deserves it. He's more than ready. Kind of said all along that Green would get probably 10 more starts than Lodolo this year, just because he's more seasoned than AAA. Yeah. And now we're seeing that come to fruition. So, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised that this is how it's playing out. So 
Yeah, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to green. I still think Cruz gets his fair share of playing time, but maybe 400 plate appearances versus you know 600 like we thought. So he'll still get plenty of run this year, and he'll be a really solid player. Yeah, that was one of the listener questions we had later on. I guess we can just now. Someone's asking, like, what is the ETA on O'Neill Cruz? It's going to be early. Like, If he's not back up by the end of May, I would be shocked. It's probably much sooner than that. So, yeah, I still think definitely 400-plus. Maybe even still 500 plus. You know, it's the whole work on this defense crap that we've seen in the past with Chris Bryant and others. So uh, he's still going to be up. He's one of the most talented hitters in that lineup already. We saw that last year. A couple of weeks or a month at AAA of him performing well, he'll be back up. Don't worry about that. It's hard to roster him when you're standard 12 teamers. I don't know. If, if you want to use a bench ball, I wouldn't be against it in 12 teamers with a you know, standard size bench, those six, seven guys, but it's kind of hard to do so. But if you drop him, just be kind of looking to see, you know, be on top of when he might be back up. So you can pick him up a week before, or else you'll probably not get him uh, when he comes back up. That's for sure. You really think J-Rod breaks camp, though? I- I'm-, I'm so on the fence with, with if J-Rod breaks camp. I mean, he looks, he's been looking solid in spring training. You know, he, had a- he had an absolute bomb the other day. Home run, two steals, hitting 316, 381, 579. But I, I don't know. I feel like they still give him like a month or two in AAA. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, he's ready. I think it's there's no question about that. He's good enough to to play with the big boys. So it's up to the team at the end of the day. But, you know, you look and, I mean, Juan Soto played way less in double-A than, than he has. So wouldn't be surprised. But also wouldn't be surprised if they sent him down either. But he's more than ready. I think that we're looking at a generational-type talent that's just ready to step in and play. So I don't know. I, I think that. He could, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, he didn't make the team. I think he definitely could. With Soto, though, like it was because they had nobody else. I remember they had all those injuries, so they kind of <laughs> yeah. had to. Seattle, that's that's the thing. Like If they were like really barren in the outfield, I would totally see it. But they have so many guys in that outfield already that, I don't know, but for what it's worth, Ross Resource does have him as a starting center fielder with Kelnick in left and Mitch Hanniger in right, Winker DHing. We'll see. I don't know. I think it's definitely possible. Like, I'm totally not ruling it out. Yeah. And, and Lewis is still you know, coming off knee surgery, so he's not ready for the start of the year. I could totally see it. And while we're talking about, about Seattle here, we could see Matt Brash as the number five starter there. So someone asked me, to, was it today or yesterday on Twitter, uh, who would you rather have right now between Matt Brash and Mackenzie Gore? And I said Matt Brash. I said it was close, but I think I said Matt Brash. And I was like, man, if you would ask me this question, or you told me two years ago, that in you know near 2022 opening day, I'd be taking Matt Brash over Mackenzie Gore. I would have looked at looked at you like you had six heads. Like it's just that <laughs> just shows how much how difficult this game is and how much values can change very quickly. Where you go from Gore was the unquestioned number one, and at that time nobody even really knew who the heck Matt Brash was. And now he's the hot name, rising up rankings, and Gore's kind of the guy people are cautious to even go near in redraft or dynasty. But Gore. He could be a rotation back at, you know, number five guy for San Diego, too. So he's got some intrigue if he gets to that rotation spot, too. Yeah, there's definitely intrigue for for Brash, for Gore. These dudes have looked really good, and uh, I'm kind of believing that Brash takes the job and runs with it. A lot of people are skeptical, but, I mean, the stuff is just unreal, and the stuff the stuff's going to play, in my opinion. Yeah, at least he's going to be a big strikeout source. And if he can really continue to improve, he's already made gains with, with the changeup, with his overall command and strike throwing. If that continues to you know, take a step forward like it has in 2021, yeah, you could definitely see Brash take that next step. And I think, you know, I still think he's more of like a mid-rotation guy, but a very intriguing mid-rotation guy, that's for sure. And that Seattle rotation is going to be pretty damn good. Like they already get Robbie Ray at the top, Logan Gilbert. They'll be adding Matt Brash. They'll be adding George Kirby. Sometime midseason, they still have you know Hancock waiting in the wings, Mark Gonzalez and Flexen kind of just holding that, holding it together, the kind of the glue guys there that can just give you innings. So that's a very good. I think this would be a very good team. I think they could be a postseason team. I'm sure we'll do our you know prediction thing. I'm probably on Patreon for the season, but I think Seattle's a postseason team this year. I really do. They they're good offensively and on and on the mound, and they have one of the best bullpens in baseball too. So it'd be a really fun team if you if you're a Seattle fan. It'd be a pretty fun year. All right. Yeah. Agree. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side and get into all the listener questions. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, me. 
MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back from the break. Let's get into some listener questions now. We got a lot of them, so we will try to get through as many as we can. If we don't get to yours, we will still answer it on Twitter, so don't you worry. Thank you to everyone that submitted questions. A lot of fun ones here. Some dynasty ones, prospect, redraft, good mix here. Let's start with uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Someone asked, if Tatis comes back and rakes for the second half, would you consider selling high? Do you think we can put the injury-prone tag on him, or do you think the injuries have been fluky? Now, I, I mentioned this, I think, last episode in our Dynasty Crystal Ball that I think I'm not ready to put the tag on him, but I got the tag ready at this point because I hate to say it, but this is a trend here already. And I don't think they're really – maybe the motorcycle could be considered fluky, but there's been a lot of injuries, a lot of different injuries. So I'm, I am at least worried that injury prone is going to start creeping in. So I would not be opposed to selling high. once he, Not now. But once he comes back, if he rakes like, like the this person asked, I wouldn't be you know obviously get a, you have to get a great return to trade a guy like Tatis, but I would not be opposed to it honestly. What about what do you think, Chris? Yeah, if he comes back and he rakes, obviously everybody's gonna be right back in on him, so you could get a a great return. I mean, he's still fetching great returns that I've seen right now, yeah. so I, I am slightly concerned. I do really wish that he would have gotten surgery on the shoulder as well because that still lingers and scares me. So I, I am not opposed to that if you get a elite player, because I, I think you can still get a top five player for him, especially if he comes back and performs at a high level. I think it's pretty easy to say I would take him. So let, let's say that happens, Chris, and, and you have Tatis and Dynasty. Someone offers you Boba Shat, you take it? I think it's fair. I'd much rather have a, a Cunha or... Soto type, but right. I think I think I would. I do think I would take okay. that. that. That was the first thing that kind of popped in my mind. Like I got it's like what fifth, right in the right in the middle of that top ten. Yeah. Uh, what what about like a Vladdy Jr.? Let's let's say it's OBP. Someone opposite you, Vlad Jr. You think yeah, that? Yeah, that's pretty easy in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, I think I would too at this point. Obviously, you know, on talent alone, it's one A, one B, him and Acuna. But even Acuna's, you know, I, I don't. I, he's obviously not hasn't had as many injuries as Tatis, but. Yeah, Tatis is really worrying me that it's maybe another Byron Buxton situation, which I mentioned last episode. So I definitely am concerned. So I would not be opposed to that for sure. All right. Next question here from our buddy Christian Crespo, who we had on a few weeks back, a month ago. I can't remember at this point. It's all a blur this time of year. He said, who will be the number one prospect in baseball at midseason? All right. I have a definitive answer to this. Is Obviously, I think at this point we're assuming – that Witt graduates, that Rodriguez graduates, that both the Detroit guys graduate, the Adley guys like that. So I think I'm taking all of them off the list. Yeah, I know who you're going with. I'm going Anthony Volpe. Yep, I figured. And it's funny because my last update a couple weeks ago, I had Volpe fifth. I had Gre- Riley Green fourth and Noelle Marte third. And obviously the big guys at number one too. And I was asking myself the other day, why do I have him fifth? I think overall, like obviously Green is closer by about a year, but I think there's a better hit tool with Volpe. I think there's more speed with Volpe. And I think the power isn't far off. So I'm wondering why do I have Green ahead? Is, is that proximity worth that much? And then I was when Oli Marte, who I, I've always loved, people know that. I was on him back when he was not even top 100. You know, I think there's more power with Marte, but hit tool and speed solidly to Volpe. So I'm wondering, like, he, I might move him up to three right now. Right now. And then number one when those two guys graduate. So, yeah, Vol- it's Volpe for me. He's got the he's the entire package, 25-25 type of guy, high average, high OBP, high floor, Yankees lineup, Yankee Yankee Stadium. A lot of good in that, you know, in that profile. So, yeah, I'll go Volpe. Yeah, I'm going with Corbin Carroll. I think the floor is even higher there. And I just feel like it's a safer profile. I do love Volpe, but 
Carroll to me, if he hadn't been injured all last year, I think may already be in that conversation. So I totally agree. I think I think we'll see Carroll make that huge leap this year. Man, beautiful swing. The contact skills are through the roof. Elite speed and enough power to to play up. So I'll go with C- Corbin Carroll. It's going to be a really interesting conversation if you know we get Volpe. We if Carroll's power progresses, Abrams. If the pa- same thing with Abrams, if the power progresses. There's a lot of good guys in that conversation. So there's not going to be like a clear cut top two like we have now. It's going to be like this group of like four or five that are just really, really good. So yeah, really fun conversation for sure. Next question we have here. Does Christian Hernandez of the Cubs have top five prospect potential? Top five is really lofty. I think I think he does. Are you talking about pure ceiling, Chris? I think he might be in that conversation. Yeah, I mean, he saw. I mean, he really stood himself out from that international class last year and was was dominant when he played. And I think that the best is still yet to come. I think there's still plenty of frame to fill out there. So, yeah, I think top ten is reasonable this time next year, and top five is a possibility. Obviously, a lot has to go right for you to be a top five prospect, but the skill set is is there. Yeah, I think you could you could see a guy that's an above average or better hitter, plus or better power, solid speed, maybe still a double-digit speed guy as he fills up the frame. So, yeah, it definitely could be there for sure. I love Christian Hernandez. Go out and get him. I think this time next year, the price is going to be so much higher in, in Dynasty Leagues. A couple of Yuri Perez questions here. So, Craig, group these two together. With all the helium Yuri Perez is seeing, I would love to hear a quick breakdown slash debate on him versus Jack Leiter. And the other question was, would you take Yuri Perez first overall in a Dynasty FYPD? First off, I got... Daniel Espino, like three rounds after Yuri Perez, which I thought was ridiculous. Yeah, that's silly. That is no knock to Yuri Perez, though. He is obviously incredibly talented. Six, six eight, upper can touch upper nineties. Got the big breaking ball. Was one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball at any level last year. So I, I totally get it, and he's super high in my rankings as well. But I wonder if is is the hype out of control at this point, Chris? Like, is the hype too much? Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so it, it's highly possible that you can sell high and get something crazy for him, in my opinion. So don't be surprised if he does tail off a little bit. Like he's going to have some struggles at some point. And I don't think people are quite ready to hear that. But I do definitely like sell high in Yuri Perez's case. I think he's great, but I'm fine selling high if you can get a great return on him. I am too, and I'm, I'm trying to find – someone asked me recently – it was a trade question involving Yuri Perez. Oh, right here. Okay. So this was – yeah, yesterday, 29th. Someone asked me – they said, I was offered any one pitcher of Cavalli, Taj Bradley, and Ashby and any one hitter of Luis Matos and Marcelo Mayer for Yuri and Dynasty. Any combo worth it? And I was like, absolutely. Take Matos and Ashby and run yeah. to the hills. Like, I think that just shows like – and that's not a thing against the person asking, obviously, but I was just using it, using that to show that the hype on Yuri is out of control. That people are like wondering, should I not do this? Where I have Matos top fifteen, he could be top ten if this top ten wasn't so damn loaded right now. Right. Ashby could be a top thirty arm this year. Bradley's a top one hundred overall prospect. Cavalli's top sixty. Like absolutely, I would I would take Matos for Yuri straight up, and then throw in Ashby or Cavalli or Taj Bradley. Absolutely, so. Yeah, this could be the time to at least entertain and you know throw it out in your in your league chat or trade block, see what you get for offers. Obviously, don't take a you know take get a good return, but yeah, the price is just ridiculous in terms of FYPD. No, I don't. You know, I'm not sure if he's talking about 2021 or 2022 at this point, but 2021, I'm still taking you know all those prep shorts that we've talked about or Sai Suzuki or Jack Leiter over Yuri Perez, who I still take Yuri uh, Leiter over Perez right now. Maybe slight seal could go to Yuri Perez a little more than lighter, but lighter's ceiling is still incredibly high, much higher floor at this point in time. So I'm still definitely on the on the lighter side. That could change. You know, Yuri's on the upward trajectory, so that could change for sure. But I w- I'd rather have Jack Lighter at this point. Are, are you are you uh, lighter as well, Chris? I'm yeah, assuming. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, moving on here. So past the Yuri questions. Next one. Last episode, you talked about Miguel Vargas as one of your most underrated prospects. Why do you think someone like Vargas gets overlooked? Are there any other prospects that you think are similarly underrated by other rankers? I'll, I'll let you go ahead, Chris. Chris, if you remember, 
ranked Vargas was at number two at third base <laughs> yeah. in 20, uh, five years out, which I, I like. I love Miguel Vargas. I tweeted about it you know, the other day as well. Yeah, Vargas is definitely underrated. But, Chris, I'll let you take this one. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you look at the combo of contact skills and the power that developed this year, and that's kind of what we were waiting on was the, the power to come, and it came. And the contact skills are through the roof. He's going to hit for a good average. Like, you're looking at a potential player that can hit 290 or better, and now we've seen the home run skills or the power come where there's enough power to easily hit 25 home runs. He's going to chip in some steals, and I just think that he's still you know, way, way, way too under the radar right now. And you can you know, get him cheap. And I'm not surprised that if he – I said he'll graduate a top-10 prospect. And he's somebody said, well, he doesn't have playing time, but he has the, he's the heir apparent to Justin Turner at third base. They have a vesting option on Turner, so it'll be yeah. interesting to see like how much they're willing to invest in him this year to – see if they want to vest that contract for next year. And my take is that they're not. The Dodgers are known to go out and get who they want, so they could easily go buy somebody. But when you have a player as good as Vargas in the wings, I think that he's ready, and I think we'll see him get a chance at some point this year. Agreed. And to kind of answer that the question, I think it's just – if I could do it, paint that with a general brush to this answer, the prospects that don't have either huge power – huge speed or a great combination of both are often the guys that get overlooked. Even a guy like Vargas, who has been 300 plus everywhere, easy plus hit tool and has shown more power over the last couple of years, 25 to 30 homer bat. The guy can add around 10 steals annually, at least early on, but people don't look at that. They don't say like, Oh, he doesn't have, you know, 30 plus homer power and he doesn't have, he's not a 2020 guy or whatever it may be. Like those are the guys that overlooked like Bryson Stott. Another great example of that. He doesn't have any huge tool. He, he gets on base. He hits for high average. He has 20 plus, 20 plus home runs, 10 plus steals, score a ton of runs. Those are the guys that just don't have the loud tools. But you don't need to have loud tools to get to be a highly valuable fantasy guy. Lindor wasn't a guy that had huge. He was more of a thought of his defensive guy with you know decent but not great offensive skills. Look at the career he's had. So look for the guys that produce and have good all-around skill sets but maybe not have those loud tools those, those are the guys that get undervalued in general yep 100 percent. moving on here oh, where i lost my spot in the sheet we already did the o'neill cruise question at what point this is a good one at what point do you and they use give up on a former prospect former top prospects upside some guys seem to hold crazy dynasty value well past their prospect days just because they were initially rated high as as teens but at what point are they simply the player they're going to be? And a couple of examples this person put in there, Victor Robles, Mitch Keller, Kessinheria, et cetera. It's, that's a hard question to answer. It's different with everybody because you got to see what they are at the major leagues, what the profile looks like. You know, does the K rate go up? Like, so many factors. So it's a hard question to give like a direct answer to. I don't, do you have a, a great answer for this question, Chris? Mm, yeah, it's, no, it's, really. it's kind of a, it's a hard question, but it's, it's such a player to player yeah. you know, thing. Like it, it, it varies. Yeah. You get to look at like what they're exhibiting, like what, why are they struggling? And I think that's an important answer or a thing that you always need to answer is the why everybody always yeah. quick to say, well, here's what they did, but why did they do that? Like, why did they struggle? And if you can find the why and everything, I think it'll help you better answer that. So like, you know, what calls this prospect to struggle and if there's a good why as to why you should drop them then i think that gives a good reason to quote give up on them per se but you, you look and like let's so let's take these two play let's take two players here so so like a victor robles once top prospect he doesn't have the skill set why has he struggled well for one he doesn't have the power he's not stealing bases and he doesn't make enough contact to hit for average so the why is pretty easy there of why he struggled. And I feel like I can answer that and say, like, he doesn't, he's not exhibiting any skills that makes me think that there's some hope for him. Mitch Keller's shown signs of hope this spring. Hira's shown signs of hope. Like, we haven't seen that from, from a Robles type. So, like, when you find the why in that, it, it helps you to really answer that, I think, a little better. 
Great answer. I'll leave it at that. Next question here. How would you project the infields for both the Pirates and Red Sox in 2023? Are Nick York and Nick Gonzalez expected to both stick at second base moving forward? And can we see them in the majors next season? Yes and yes. I think we we definitely could. I think long-term it's going to be O'Neill Cruz at short and Gonzalez at second for Pittsburgh. And I think I think York sticks at second base because you got – when he's ready – and. I think we talked about this. I think I was saying maybe late 2023. I think, Chris, you were more early 2024, which I'm totally on board with as well. But that point, Bogarts could opt out. That would, I'd hate that, but he could opt out. You know, he could move Bogarts over. You know, some moving pieces could be moved around. So I'm not worried about, you know, Nick York being blocked yet. We could see York at short, a second base, excuse me, Story at short. Bogey moves over to first or third. Devers goes to first, whatever it may be. I don't know. We'll see, but or maybe Bogey's gone by that point. Could be so. Yeah, I think York could take a second. Same with Gonzalez, and yeah, I think York's up by the end of twenty twenty three or early twenty twenty four at the latest. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. So I think they both stick more twenty twenty four for York. But if he keeps hitting, he couldn't push the timeline up. I think Nick Gonzalez is definitely more ready as a college bat. So um, excited to see what he can do as well. Yeah, I like Nick Gonzalez a lot. I think he's gonna be a top 10 caliber fantasy second baseman for a long time. Bet that bat is legit. A little bit of speed as well. I think Pittsburgh's going to be a pretty solid lineup here the next few years. All these young guys will be adding. Definitely on the up and up. We had another J-Rod question. A couple other J-Rod questions. One, this is more, you know, team-based for this person, but I think in general they're asking, you know, how good do we think J-Rod can be this year? Assuming he makes the opening day roster, what do we think he looks like this year? I think good average, good power. And I think if I if I told you, Chris, that, you know, let's say about the over-under 270 and 25 home runs and like, you know, seven, eight steals. What would you think about that? No, I think that's definitely fair. I wouldn't – I'm, I'm not going to suggest he's going to be a superstar year one. He's still right. so young, but he's very polished despite his age. So – I think that's pretty reasonable. You don't want to put the expectation too high, but I think he can be a highly fantasy-relevant player in his rookie season. I do believe that for a fact. Agreed. Yeah, I think he's going to be – you've seen like he is so advanced. Like He's a 331 career minor league hitter, 412 OBP. Obviously, we've seen you know, he doesn't strike out much. The power's there. The hit tool is there. He's just very polished. So I think he definitely could be one that hits the ground running and – is a top 100 player this year if he gets the time. Like I'm still not 100% that he's on opening the roster. We'll see. We'll get that answer probably within the next few days, I'm sure. But, yeah, whenever he is up, if it's opening day, if it's May, if it's June, I think it'll be June at the latest at this point. He's going to be probably pretty damn good right away. All right, next question here. What impact will the humidors have on fantasy baseball? I'm not I'm not 100% sure on this. Well, at least they're doing it league-wide now, which is great, but – uh, do you have any, any thoughts on this, Chris? I'm just going to go to what Eno said about it because he put it in the best way that I think you could possibly say it. I got to find his tweet. He's basically said the humidor brings the balls to average humidity. So extremely humid places, it'll keep the ball drier and less waterlogged, which means the ball will travel further, which is definitely great. So he said the most humid parks like San Francisco, San Diego, Miami, and Tampa Bay even could see an offensive boost. Basically, you know, rehashing, saying that the humidor does help, like, just make the ball travel more. So the teams that already had humidors are, let's see, listed those as well. Rockies, Diamondbacks, Red Sox, Mariners, Mets, Astros, Marlins, Cardinals, Rangers, and Blue Jays. So we'll see the other parks I think get a boost. So I, it could hurt Miami pitchers. I think that's a possibility. San Francisco pitchers, it could hurt. It'll be interesting to see how that really plays out. So I'm looking forward to seeing that, but at least it's everything will be on an even playing field. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I didn't like how that was. In, it was like, you know, 10 or 12 ballparks you just mentioned. I'm just glad that it's all 30 now. Get universal, same with the, the DH. I, think, I like everything universal, even playing field. So I think that's good. All right, which prospect has the best MLB stats this year, and what is their stat line? Mm. I mean, it's easy to say Bobby Witt Jr. Because he day one, he said the power, the speed. He's looked really damn good so far this spring. Uh, He's got a couple home runs already. Isn't striking out that much. 
I think he's actually two walks to two Ks, which is really encouraging. So yeah, I'll easy answer here. I, I'd hate to be boring and go Bobby Wood Jr., but I think it is. And I think it's something like 265, 270. I think you'll see 20 mid-20s home runs and uh, 15, 16 steals. And, and that's super lofty, and that'll put make him a top. If he goes like two, even 260, 25, 15, I think that's a top 60, 50 player right there. So, But I think that's what we could see. He looks really good. He's he's improved a ton as a p- overall hitter since the 2019 draft. He's not just a power speed guy anymore. Yeah, so I think that's definitely possible. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that he's the easy pick to be the best rookie. And I think the stats I don't I don't think 2020 is out of the question. It depends on where he hits in the lineup and how the Royals let him run. Yeah. So I'm kind of I kind of was out on him for most of draft season. And I think that he limbs a lot right now in redraft league. So I'm not sure if I'll end up I mean, I'm done with most drafts at this point, but I, I do think that he's an easy pick for me to say that he'll be the best rookie or best prospect. Yeah, I don't think I have any shares of I obviously dynasty shares and maybe yeah. one or two like early best balls. But um, trying to pull up, you know, like NFBC, you can look at your players' shares, and yeah, I have none. I said a quick Control F for Wit, and there was no results found. So, yeah, I don't have any Wit shares on any of my NFBC teams. Not because I don't like Wit, just because of the price tag and he's a rookie, and we've been. I've been spurned by that before. I'm trying to steer away from it this year more than before. So, but yeah, I think Witt's gonna could have a really good year. Obviously, uh, cut, let's get squeezing a couple more here. We still got like seven or eight more, but we can't get to them all here. We don't have like a two-hour show here, so we'll just do a couple more here. It says if you could trade want uh, trade to get Wander in a dynasty, but it would cost you either Vlad or Soto. Would you? Absolutely not. No. Like we we've talked about, Wander's very good. Like he could be. Aussie Albies with more average, like, you know, but maybe a little less, you know, power speed overall than Albies. But a guy that's, you know, top 15 to 20 draft pick, you know, maybe a little higher. I just don't see him as being an annual top 10 guy. Like, you know, Vlad and Soto are like they're top five guys. They've shown that they've that might be the two highest floors in the game right now. Vlad and Soto. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's there's no chance. And I, I do think Wander has a high floor, too, but I'm not paying yeah. that cost to get him. No, like it's a, if anything, I like I, I've sold a couple of Wander shares in Dynasty, so obviously love the player. Just I think he's a bit overvalued for Dynasty purposes here. Ezekiel Tovar's spring training. What do you guys make of it? Seems underrated and underappreciated when comparing him to someone like a Luis Matos. Yeah, we, we saw Tovar last year out in the in the Arizona Fall League, and then we we both kind of came away with a similar reaction where he looked good. He's putting the bat on the ball, but we were kind of wondering how much impact was going to be there you know how much power was he hit for or is he much more of a you know slap hitter type so i don't know i honestly haven't even looked at tovar's spring training stats before now i'm pulling it up right now has he has he hit for a lot of power this spring he that there's some decent exit velocities he had a 110.2 ev which he had 110.4 in the afl but you're right while he has exhibited the ability to hit for you know at least high evs he still looked like more of a slap hitter that went the other way a lot in every, and we saw him three or four games, I think. So that was something that definitely stood out to us. But if he learns to lift the ball a little more, I could see him getting more home run power because he does make really, really good contact. And I think that's important. The contacts there, he's still young. He's shown the ability to hit the ball hard. So those are the type of players that usually can evolve into someone that, you know, grows into home runs. And I think that can certainly be the case here. And so I'm sold on the fact that he's just going to be a slap hitter. I think that we'll potentially see him, you know, take some steps forward. So I do like Tovar. I think he's kind of underrated and he's one that can move up. Yeah. His spring has actually been really good. I didn't realize he was doing this well. Nine games, 20 plate appearances, two doubles, three home runs, two steals, hitting 550, zero walks and one strikeout. So yeah, very good. Rose. He was doing that well this spring. But yeah, I, I echo a lot of what Chris said. You know, the contact skills are very good. He did have 15 home runs last year in 469 plate appearances between low A and high A. I think he could be a right around a 15 homer guy. I don't think he's ever be a 20 homer guy, but 15 home runs. He's got solid speed, high efficiency guy as well on the bases. Solid contact skills that'll obviously be boosted by Coors Field. 
So this could, it could be a, a solid fantasy player here down the road. He's still a couple years away. Yeah, he I think he just turned. Yeah, he turned twenty back in August, so he'll play most of this year at age twenty. So he's still not going to be up until second half of next year at the earliest, and it's also the Rockies. So this could be you know another year after that. But it's definitely a good little player here with, with Tovar. He could be. You know, they don't really have that lockdown middle infield like Hampson as it worked out. Rogers looks like he could be solid, but we're still kind of waiting to see with him. So you could see Tovar as, as a starting middle infielder for this team a couple years out. Definitely has that upside. I think that's going to wrap it up here. So we got a couple more questions, but we'll get to those on Twitter. Sorry to everyone that we couldn't get to, but thank you to everyone for spending all these great questions. There's a lot of fun, a lot of fun storylines in spring training as well. But that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Cross 04. Chris is at Roto and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ, Fantasy Pros, or over on our Patreon. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care. Asbury, Methodist Village, and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal opportunity housing provider.